going into it, I was I was nervous because, like I said before, just watching the game of basketball was hard. So I'm like, how am I going to sit there like on the sidelines now and watch other guys do it? I think that's going to kill me. <laughs> but I, I did it, and I and I was I was proved wrong because when you're able to coach, you know, you're able to experience those same feelings that you feel as an athlete um, just through an alternate avenue. So those same passions, those same adrenaline rushes, um, those same the feelings of being a part of something bigger than yourself, uh, the feelings of of the competitive edge, right? Like I'm not competing, but as a coach, like you're fired up on the sidelines and you're you're all about it and you're 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 put in the work and practice to help the guys. And so, um, really, it was a life changing experience for me, and that's what got me out of my slump of being sidelined because I realized that although I can't play basketball again, it doesn't mean that my passion for basketball has to die. This is Cade Pinalto. I am the founder and president of Sideline USA, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. I mean, as a parent, you know, for your kid to be told that their hopes and dreams are basically crushed and there's no way to work through those, it just felt like, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I wanted it to be me, you know? I wanted my dreams to be killed, but don't tell my kid that he can't pursue his dreams. This is Christine Penalto, Executive Director of Sidelined USA, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails Podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I have a, a couple firsts on the podcast. Both uh, this Cade Pinalto, who's the founder and president of Sideline USA, and his mother, Christine Pinalto, executive director of Sideline USA, are both on uh, this interview. And Cade is by far the youngest athlete that I've ever had on the podcast. And I also get a lot of questions from parents and a lot of parents come to this podcast to get answers for their kids. So I think this will also be a cool dynamic in getting a parent's perspective on, you know, an athlete's injury that sidelines them for, you know, possibly their whole life or, you know, just an extended period of time. So I'm really excited to have you guys on and just to give you a little bit of short background before they get into it on what Sideline USA is. And uh, it's basically their mission is to reunite permanently sidelined athletes uh, with their passions and inspire them to find a meeting, a meaningful way forward. And that's something that I know I really struggle with when I you know, had my head injury in football and I was kind of trying to figure out like who is Kevin without football. Um, so obviously I had to get them on the show. So thank you guys for, for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just thanks, Kevin, for having us. We're really excited to be here. So, Kate, I think it's probably best for you to start off by uh, telling the audience, you know, what led you to personally being sidelined from the sport of basketball, uh, which was a, a, an intense passion of yours. Yeah, so so like you mentioned, uh, I played basketball. Uh, growing up, basketball was just uh, – it was my life. It was my biggest passion. Uh, played on multiple travel teams. I was super into it. Um, and, uh, actually while I was on a, one of my travel teams, um, I found out that, um, or I guess I didn't figure it out. I just kind of, I, I started having difficulty breathing, uh, while on the court and, uh, we ended up trying to go in to get it checked out and, uh, it ended up kind of leading kind of a crazy, uh, a, a kind of a hunt, if you will, to figure out what the problem is. Um, but, uh, through all that, I was taking all these different kinds of tests. 
And some of the tests that I was taking were, were heart screenings. And the doctors were telling us that, you know, we think there's something a little bit abnormal here. We're going to send you another test. It's probably nothing. Um, and it kind of was a down, just, I don't know, super downplayed. And so we weren't really sure uh, what was going on there. So the breathing thing ended up being something completely different. But uh, once we figured that out, it was actually the next day that I had scheduled a uh, appointment with the cardiologist. And so we went into the cardiologist and um, really weren't expecting anything to come out of that conversation. Expect, And uh, so, so we go in there and, and he sat me down and pretty, pretty briefly told me that what I had was called left ventricle cardiomyopathy non-compaction. <laughs> and uh, although a mouthful, all that really means is part of my heart had never fully uh, developed and it was a little bit rough around the edge, a little bit spongy. And it kind of basically it just left me up to be susceptible um, and there wasn't really a lot to know about it, except that it's risky. And he went on to say that I was going to have to stop uh, playing competitively in basketball and, and contact sports and sports of, of high intensity and and, uh, and high, uh, I guess, cardio uh, cardio or what do you call that? Cardiovascular requirement. Um, so I was just kind of shocked by that. I, I was not expecting at all. Um, to be told that I couldn't do, I really wasn't expecting any limitations. I wasn't expecting anything. And then I was just shell shocked by the news that I was not going to be able to play basketball ever again. Yeah. And that's tough. Like you said, like people or the, some of the doctors that you had seen previously were, like you said, kind of downplaying it or not really fully understanding the extent of, uh, I guess the, the illness in your heart, not really illness, but I guess formation of your heart. And you know how I, I hear of cardiomyopathy like pretty frequently. So how common is this? So it, I think it kind of depends on the doctor um, who's seeing it. So at the time, my doctor was like, honestly, he's like, it's pretty rare. Um, and in his experience, was that there are uh, there are kids like me, and then there are kids who have a lot severe, uh, a lot more severe cases. Um, but then later on, we went to another doctor who said that he would even see that, um, once a week, but he was like a super, uh, he had a lot of specialties that a lot of people go out to see him. Um, yeah. you want to say something? Yeah. There's just different kinds of cardiomyopathy and it's kind of case specific. I think that the biggest one is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, HCM. That is the one that I find as I'm doing my research is sidelining athletes most frequently, um, that. Yeah, I mean, heart screenings are a big deal these days because they're starting to do them more um, at the beginning of college, you know, play as part of that introductory physical. And, you know, the outcomes can be scary because something can be caught that's not, you know, making symptoms, but can at any time cause problems. And I've talked to the moms who've lost their kids on the field uh, totally out of the blue with heart conditions that they didn't know they had. So it's not something that is worth the risk, but doesn't make it any less easy to give up your sport because it's your passion and, and even if you feel like it could save your life yeah 100 percent. and i i think with you know improved technology too i think we're hearing more about cardiomyopathy because you know now you can do an ultrasound like with an iphone so the access to being able to have your heart screened before you know pre-participation is you know a lot easier than it, it used to be but uh anyway you know, obviously part of the hard part about being told that you can never play again is a lot of the times, 
you don't think that going into it, which is exactly your situation. So, you know, how hard was it for you to hear those words come out of the doctor's mouth to say, you know, that he recommended not playing basketball anymore? Yeah. So I think I honestly was kind of numb at first. Um, my initial thought was that I couldn't really believe it was happening. Um, and, and I was 12 at the time. And so as you can imagine, if you're a 12 year old, um, you're old enough to, to understand things and you're totally, you're there, you're understanding everything that's going on. But at the same time, it was, uh, something that seemed bigger than me, uh, just by a mile, you know? And so my, initially I was just kind of numb, although I, I totally understood the implications of it. Um, and I think I honestly, I don't think I said anything to the doctor when he told me, I think I just kind of looked at him, um, and I really didn't say anything. And he ended up stepping out of the room uh, for something. And my mom just turned and looked at me. And I think she already had tears in her eyes because she knew what what basketball had meant to me. Um, and at that point, I think I, I teared up a little bit. But I told her, I really I don't want to cry here. I don't want to talk about it. And I, I remember I got up and I went to the restroom. Um, and I just in the restroom, I just looked in the mirror. And I remember just feeling like, how is this possibly happening? Um, and so that was kind of the, the day of. And then, you know, after that, I think it, it took a little bit to set in, although I was, I was feeling those emotions right away, the, the frustration, the sadness. Um, but ultimately, it led to a, a depression and, and kind of an anger of feeling like, man, I, I've just been separated from my biggest passion. And it wasn't until, you know, a couple weeks later when basketball season actually started to kick in that I really, I really realized how so much of myself was going to change because who I built myself up was was a basketball player, and that's who my friends knew me as, and that's who you know my identity was. And I, at 12 years old, I was pretty tall for my age, and so I think immediately everyone's first thought, at least among the guys, was like, "Hey, you play basketball? Like, good. You enter, you know, let's play." Um, and, and I just remember feeling that that year specifically, like. I don't know who I am anymore because I don't play basketball. Everything that I do for fun really is gone. And I couldn't really feel like I could even watch the game uh, without feeling tremendous frustration because all I wanted to do was compete. Yeah, I mean, th that story and those feelings are, you know, stuff that I can certainly resonate with. And, you know, I was – 17 18 19 20 like in well into my 20s like dealing with those thoughts like I can only imagine you know how it was to deal with that at 12 years old um but Christine I was curious to hear kind of your side of you know this experience as well during this time yeah um I mean it was honestly it was brutal um I was such a fan of watching him play and you know, now he can't play and that's his dream that, I mean, he's always talked about and he had, he had picked out a high school where he wanted to go to high school in Chicago. You don't just go to your neighborhood high school necessarily. You apply to go to special high schools and things. And there's a certain high school he wanted to go to, to play for this certain coach for basketball and then, you know, work towards varsity and then work towards a scholarship and all that. And so it really was not just about the game or an activity after school. This was about you know, his, his hopes and dreams for his future. So, I mean, as a parent, you know, for your kid to be told that their hopes and dreams are basically crushed and there's no way to work through those, um, it just felt like, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wanted it to be me, you know, I wanted my dreams to be killed, but don't tell my kid that he can't pursue his dreams. That's just, I mean, frankly, I was just, that's flat out stupid, <laughs> you know, like that's just doesn't make sense. There's no place in your brain as a mom to process, not, not champion, championing your son's dreams. Um, and the, the right thing to do, the healthy thing to do is to help him say goodbye to his dreams, which is just, I don't think any parent is prepared for that. It just doesn't feel like you're being a good mom. It doesn't feel like you're being a good dad when you're stopping short, you know, of what you really want to do, which is tell them just like, go for it. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't do something. And I believe in you just go work harder. And you know, that's the athletic mindset, right? And at some point, sometimes that athletic mindset and the, and our bodies don't like line up. They're just flat out, um, almost in competition with one another. So, I mean, that was, that was really tough. Um, I, I just, I wanted more for him. I wanted him to be able to, um, you know, not be like held down. And here he was just like kind of down to the very bottom of who, you know, who he is kind of rebuild all over again. Yeah. During middle school, like the time when everyone is, you know, trying to be somebody and figure it out. And it's just like, not the time, not that there's any time for it, but not a great time to be um, completely, you know, kind of personally annihilated in, in one sense. Yeah. That was really powerful to, to hear your perspective on that. And you're right. Yeah. Like when you're 12, 13, 14, those are some awkward times for kids. Yeah. You're like trying to figure out who you are and what you're, what you're doing to, so to get news like that, I can, I give you credit Kate for, uh, for accomplishing what you have today. Uh, but what were the recommendations from the doctor? Was he like, you know, you can't even play like horse or like you can't play knockout in gym class or like what, what were kind of the restrictions that he, he placed on you? Yeah. So he said to me that he didn't want to take away everything. And he said, and your situation doesn't call for it, but what you can't do is you can't play on a team and in a game. So he's like, you can play a pick, a really casual pickup game in the backyard. You can shoot around. You could, you know, you could, you could definitely play horse or stuff like that. Um, but I think interesting enough for me, although he gave me those, those kind of those passes, I, I thought, it was pointless because to me as a basketball player, I was so competitive. All I wanted to do was to go all out. Right. And if I'm beating like, sure, I could play somebody who's not as good as me at me at the time and, uh, probably not exert myself to the max and I could beat them. Right. And like, you could call that a victory, but that's just not who I was. I wanted to go play the older guy or the guy who I knew was better than me, um, to try to work on my game and try to get better. And I remember like, I used to go out in the back and I would shoot around um, even after the diagnosis or maybe I'd play a light game with somebody like, I don't know, just a really small one-on-one game. And I would come inside and my mom would say like, well, that's good. Like you can still play, you know? And I I would look at her and be like, no, like what's the point? Like I I felt like it was totally pointless because I wasn't able to work towards the goals that had made basketball fun for me. So making the team, being the best on the court, beating someone, uh, you know, constantly improving my skills. And now it was all just down to uh, small stuff, which which didn't really satisfy me. Yeah, and I think that's a good point to make, that it's not just like the act of going through the motions. It is like those goals that you had set for yourself and, you know, striving for something and striving for, I guess, greatness, you could say, in, in some respect. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, that's a very mature way to, to think about those kind of things when you were that young. Uh, but I guess, were you ever, like, nervous when you would play pickup basketball that, like, you know, they, your heart's like a ticking time bomb, or is it, like, <laughs> not like that at all? Yeah, so I'm lucky because I'm asymptomatic. So the reality that is that they found this by kind of a miracle. Um the problems that I was experiencing weren't related and I still don't experience problems. So that I'll say that also made it kind of difficult to, to grasp the, the tangibility of being, having a heart condition. Um, but in some ways I also made, made it for me that I wasn't really ever scared. It was more my mom who would be like mad at me if she saw me like kind of exerting myself. And I, I, so I I don't like condone this necessarily, but like, I, I think especially being 12 years old, I wanted to like test it and push her and be like, no, I'm fine. Like, you know, you want to prove that like, I'm no different than I was yesterday just because I got this diagnosis. Um, so I don't think I had the maturity to, to like be uh, cognizant of that, but I also, um, yeah, there were some physical things there. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel the implications of it, but I, I also wasn't necessarily like, like wary of them, I guess. Okay. I was, I was worried. He'd come in and if his face was like beet red or he was sweating, I would chew him out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. My mom would be the same way. Uh, So how have you like adapted your, I guess, workouts and stuff like that, you know, to the heart condition? Well, so honestly, everything kind of changed and it it took a certain point. Um, But you know, being a basketball player, I, I, and I was so young that I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't in the gym much. Mostly I was just on the basketball court. Um, but it got to a point where I actually really walked away from the game entirely. And I said, uh, kind of out of frustration that I, I didn't want to shoot hoops anymore. I didn't really even want to watch basketball because it was just too hard for me. Um, and so I tried other things. So at the time, um, I tried music. And so I taught myself how to play the guitar and um i tried a couple other things too so now for example i I play golf um which at the time was some of my doctors suggested was like oh you could do golf or bowling or archery archery." and i was like what the heck (laughs) um (laughs) so i've changed a little bit yeah no offense to those athletes but at the time i was just like i cannot picture myself doing that um but now i play golf and i love it and I, i do work out but i it's kind of to a point where um, I'm knowing my limits, right? So I'm not um, – the point, I guess, is my doctor was to never go into a state of adrenaline where you're not able to feel your body and to be able to listen to it, um, which is hard because, like, everyone loves adrenaline rushes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm able to, to kind of just to keep a presence of mind, I guess, to kind of stay out of those dangerous situations, although um, I'm lucky to not, to not be at, like, extreme, extreme risk. Um, yep at the time okay yeah I and mean, i'm thinking like all right when i was 17 like you're at like the peak of thinking that you're invincible right like, right at this moment so <laughs> right uh, yeah. the current conversations are revolving around like how much weight he should be pushing because like you know we talked to his cardiologist about what his limits are because that like that force where you're like you know taking something heavy and you know lifting it that is really hard on the heart and so yeah those are the current fights we have so to speak about you know what he's allowed to do with it without being risky but um he has to just kind of keep an eye on that and you know right. push back on it where he can 
Right, and and like Cade said before, he he made a, a good point of like, you know, when you're playing, you want to play like do something that you can go all out on. And I know when I had my injury, you know, I I was forced to I, I tried crew. I tried it for the crew team when I went to Rutgers uh, when I couldn't play football anymore. But you know, like he's like Cade said with golf and with uh, bowling and archery and stuff like that, it just like didn't quite do it for me and I've just always been in search of that one thing that I could do where I could like push myself to like you know the maximal and try to like push the limits all the time and to be honest I keep hurting myself in the things that I do find and I keep having to search for other things to do so it's it went from like from crew to uh crossfit to now cycling because I messed up my knee from doing crossfit so it's like you're, I'm constantly trying to learn like what that limit is and when not to cross it, you know, cause it just ends up getting me hurt. Sure. Uh, but Christine, uh, what's your advice to parents, uh, of athletes who are going through something similar to your son, Cade? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. Um, I think you have to just realize you can't fix this. Um, you want as a parent to find a way to make it feel better. You want to find a way to cheer them up. You know, that's what you're so used to doing. And, and honestly, sometimes the harder I would try to do that, the more frustrated he would be with me just because I wasn't honoring his pain. Um, so I think you have to really hold back in some ways about fixing it. Like you can't, you know, offering silver lining comments, like strangers would do this more so than me, but, and I, and I learned quickly how much it stung, but like silver lining comments are just not helpful at the beginning, especially like silver lining, um, comments like, Oh, well, at least, you know, now you're like, what? That doesn't make me feel better. Um, silver lining comments like, well, you'll find something else. And it's like, okay, if someone lost, you know, like, a loved one or, you know, our husband or something, you would never say, Oh, you'll find a new one. You know, like it's not, it's not okay to say those things. You have to just really honor the pain and understand that it hurts deeper than you know, and it lasts longer than you think. Um, and so just because they're not talking about it doesn't mean they're not hurting. I think that's another thing to understand. Um, athletes often are internal processors and are used to working through the mental game inside. And so they may not be articulating it. And so I think you have to recognize that they should be talking to somebody about it. It may or may not be you and you have to be okay with that, but trying to encourage them, you know, to talk to somebody about it if it's not you. Um, and I think a good tip that I got from a sports psychologist was he recommended getting, you know, if it's a teenager, especially, or an athlete, get them moving, maybe not in their own sport, but like throw a ball or, you know, go fishing or like, do something where it's a little bit, I guess fishing isn't very active, but do something a little more active and like have conversations during those times, as opposed to like sitting them down on the couch and grilling him about or her about like how they're doing and how they're feeling and if they're okay, because it's just too intense at that point. So trying to, you know, somewhat keep it more casual of a conversation and just Tell them that you're there for them and that you can't imagine the pain that they're going through, but you want to be there a hundred percent for them in just processing that. And, um, 
I have a lot of advice. I have a few more. <laughs> yeah, go listen. Go for it. Okay. Um, but just monitoring for depression. I mean, obviously, there's different variations of the depths of depression. And um, you really want to educate yourself about the signs of the kind of depression where you really need to seek outside help. Um, we have some resources on our website for that. But um, for sure, you know, it's worth talking to your family doctor about if you're concerned, um, you know, depression can lead to some really bad spaces, um, mentally and really bad, you know, just thought processes and hopelessness. And you just want to make sure that even in their, even in their depression, which is in some ways just probably a foregone conclusion, they're probably going to be depressed to some degree, but like monitoring that for like how bad that's getting. And if, if hope is still, if they still have a hope and they still can find a way to, you know, think about the future and it's going to be, be positive at some point, you know, I, it's, this is, you know, crappy now, but I know it won't last forever. You know, that's more, that's a less concerning type of depression than the type of depression where they feel hopeless. Right. So kind of knowing those differences and really monitoring for that. Um, you know, I've spoken to a mom who lost her, her son because he, he was feeling hopeless and he took extreme measures, unfortunately, even though they were trying to get him help. So I guess as a mom, it's trying to protect all the kids out there and like spread awareness with parents. It really is something you need to be attending to and be mindful of. I don't think you have to be scared necessarily about all that, but just be educated and be, be careful to um, just watch for signs, you know, affirm them and who they are. That's another thing is like, you know, okay, they can't be a ball player anymore or whatever it is, sport. Um, just affirm that, you know, they whatever made them a great competitor, what made, made them a great ball player, those same qualities are going to transfer to other categories, other areas of life. And you just, you're excited about, you know, articulating just even something as simple as, I'm excited to see what's next for you. I know something really good is going to come down the pike for you. You're going to find something. And, you know, no pressure on, on finding that right now, but just so you know, I know it's going to happen. I believe it. And I can't wait to see what comes of it. Yeah, that, that was amazing advice uh, for, for parents out there. Um, well, I'm sure there's tons of them. You know, even if all sports has started, I'm sure a lot of people are getting that, that same news. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, I know I benefited from seeing a sports psychologist uh, when I was first told that I couldn't play football anymore. Um, and I, I don't want to assume that Cade saw one, but it, from what you said, it kind of sounded like that was the case. Is that true? Um, no, actually. So we didn't, we, we, unfortunately, we were never even aware that there was such a thing. Um, we had asked the doctor who diagnosed Cade at the time, um, I said, is there any resources like support groups or something? Cause I just knew this was going to be almost next to impossible to overcome. And in my mind, that's what I was thinking. Um, and the doctor didn't know of anything and he didn't suggest a sports psychologist, unfortunately, which looking back now, um, I wish he would have. Um, but we didn't know that. And I only found that out through our work with sidelined as we did our research to help other sideline athletes and just learned from, from them. Like, Oh, there's actually people who, and granted sports psychologists most often are focusing on helping athletes perform at their highest level, but they definitely know what the mind of the athlete is like and can speak to, um, just that grief process when the athletics has to, you know, take a turn. For sure. 
Uh, so, Kate, what would you say your lowest point was, you know, during this transition to life after being a basketball player? Yeah, I think the lowest points would be the start, really, of every basketball season for the next two or three years. Because um, throughout the rest of the year, you can kind of hide it, right? You can, it's not on your mind. You can, you can distract yourself. Um, but when, when all your friends uh, were, well, they're, you know, all my friends were, were all going out for the basketball team each year and their seasons are starting and the practices are starting. All you can really think about is like how it's not right that I'm sitting at home right now, like playing video games when like all my friends are at practice, you know? Um, and so I think really that's when it hit the most. And that's like when, I don't know if I really externalized it. I mean, I did, but I don't know if I did, uh, it, enough at those points because there would be times where I think I was just kind of quietly hurting mm-hmm. um wow I felt like my friends are all busy because they're doing what I want to be doing right now and I can't you know right that's tough uh what kind of helped you get out of those slumps did you just like wait till basketball season was over again or you know did you try to distract yourself in other ways yeah so I mean I tried to talk to my parents a lot and I think they were, they were great in that, and I, I felt like I could always kind of tell them, like, I'm upset right now, I miss basketball. Um, but, yeah, it honestly was kind of a waiting game. Um, it never really got better. It wasn't really – I wasn't – at least in that period of my life, I wasn't able to find anything that was going to bring me out of it, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was just kind of distracting myself and waiting and, and, and kind of just having to, to check through it, I guess. Okay. And uh, when did coaching come into your life? Yeah, so um, it's a good transition because that's kind of what brought me out. Um, So uh, as my mom kind of mentioned earlier, I wanted to go to a specific high school to play basketball for a specific coach. Um, And I ended up getting into that high school. And my and I got my class schedule, my English teacher, I recognized the name and I'm like, wait a minute, that's the varsity basketball coach. And my first thought was like, sweet, this English class is going to be so easy. It's, it's the basketball coach. Like, there's no way. Like, this is going to be a blow off, um, which if he heard that, he would totally laugh because like it was not at all. Um, but when I got when I got there, uh, I think it kind of struck me immediately that the way he ran his classroom was very, very similar to the way that he ran the basketball team. So I wanted to play for him because he was a, he had a great basketball mind and he was all about you know, the game and, and improving. Uh, but at the same time, he was very focused on making uh, good basketball players and better men. And uh, you tell in the classroom that his focus was to make good students and better people. And so he would always have quotes of the day and he was always quoting John Wooden. If you like basketball, John Wooden's kind of like the guy you go to for quotes. Um, and so I, I pulled him aside or actually what I did, I got home from class one day and I sent him an email and I said, I just kind of told him my story. I told him that, like, you know, you're the reason I wanted to come to Lane here at, at this high school, and you're the reason that I wanted to, to continue playing basketball. And I'm just like, I just want to tell you how thankful I am to be in your class, and and I appreciate the way you run things because I feel like I'm able to kind of partake in that, um, even though I, I can't try out. And uh, he sent me back an email and was like, basically, like I made him and his wife cry, and he just couldn't. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he was just like blown away by the story. And he told me, he said, 
you know, I've never done this before, but we got to get you back involved in the game somehow. He said, yeah, you really want to be a part of the program. So he said, how would you like to be uh, an assistant coach? And the plan was that I was going to be a certain assistant coaching freshman year on the varsity level. And each year, as I was continuing to grow and to learn uh, the ins and outs of coaching, I would get more responsibilities. And he's like, you know, by your senior year, I'd like you to be just on par with uh, the other assistant coaches who have been doing this for a, a long time, you know, he really wanted me to have responsibilities. And so, uh, at practice, I would have a role in, in, in helping out with drills or leading drills or, um, during the games, I was keeping stats. I was on the bench with the guys. I was, you know, wearing the, the shirt and tie. And I, I felt like, A, I had a purpose and B, I was all of a sudden reunited with, with basketball again. Um, going into it, I was, I was nervous because, like I said before, just watching the game of basketball was hard. So I'm like, how am I going to sit there like on the sidelines now and watch other guys do it? I think that's going to kill me. <laughs> but I, I did it, and I and I was I was proved wrong because when you're able to coach, you know, you're able to experience those same feelings that you feel as an athlete um, just through an alternate avenue. So those same passions, those same adrenaline rushes, um, those same the feelings of being a part of something bigger than yourself, uh, the feelings of of the competitive edge, right? Like I'm not competing, but as a coach, like you're fired up on the sidelines and you're, you're all about it and you're, you're, you're put in the work and practice to help the guys. And so, um, really it was a life changing experience for me. And that's what got me out of my slump of being sidelined because I realized that although I can't play basketball again, it doesn't mean that my passion for basketball has to die, you know? And so it was just a really amazing, um, revelation really that I'm able to be a part of my passion once more. And that's something that I never thought I'd be able to do again. It's interesting because it's funny because some athletes seem to do that exactly what you did. Like they almost gravitate back towards their sport and being immersed in it. It it doesn't hurt them as much as they thought it would. Whereas other athletes want like absolutely nothing to do with the sport because it's just too hard for them to watch um, or whatever. But before we kind of move from that point, I was curious if, you know, by you coaching, you know, kids who are probably older than you, obviously, when you're a freshman, sophomore, you know, guys on varsity are probably junior, senior uh, level. Uh, But I was wondering, was it hard for you to like earn respect with the guys, you know, like when you're trying to make coaching points (laughs) to guys who are the same age or if not older than you? So, uh, honestly, it's a funny story. They, they all thought that I was like older, like, um, they, none of them ex- like, expected I was a freshman. And I think, uh, the coach is named Legabo. I think coach Legabo forgot to, to say that when he first introduced me. Um, and so I was totally worried. Like, I honestly, I was so timid at first thinking like, yeah, like, what am I doing here? These guys are not going to take anything from me. Um, and at the end of practice, he, that's when he introduced me. And uh, a couple of the guys came up and like shook my hand. And I remember thinking like, well, those have got to be the nicest guys at the school because either way, I would probably be thinking like, I don't know who this kid is, but whatever. Um, and it wasn't for actually a couple of practices later that one of the guys was like, so how old are you? And I was like, oh, you're like 14. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, we didn't know that. And so um, I was kind of lucky there because honestly, I don't know how they didn't figure that out. Um, but I was, yeah. So I think um, it was just a, a total, um, it was a really, it was a really good experience all around. And, and the guys respected me. And I think once they kind of learned my story too, um, they're really happy to, to have me there. And it just, it meant the world to me to, to be that accepted. Um, and the guys were just really happy to have me. And so, um, it, you know, it's funny when I was 
playing basketball, I was a big man. And so in practice, I was like, yeah, I can work with the big guys. Like I know, I know the kind of the fundamentals there. Um, and so you'd have like the big, like six foot five guys on the freshman and then practice. And I'm like helping them and like using the, the pad and I'm like, you know, boxing them up and stuff. And I'm like totally getting overpowered. Cause I'm like, these guys are huge. <laughs> um, so I don't know how they, I don't know how those guys respected me, but they did. So it was, it was a really great time. And I, some of my best friendships have come out of that. Cool. And yeah, it sounds like the coach created a great culture there, you know, of acceptance and respect too, which is, it sounds like a, he's a, he's a good dude. Um, but, but Christine, did you notice a difference in kind of Cade's demeanor and, and stuff like at this point when he started coaching? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, even coming back from maybe the second week of practices, I think where he started feeling like, okay, I can find my, I can see myself in this role. It's not, you know, outside of the realm of actually a meaningful, you know, um, participation. You could tell, you could just see it. He'd come home and he, you know, it was like kind of in some ways like the, you know, the old days where he would come back and, you know, not, not that he's always sharing stories or something, but, you know, he'd just have something to say about something that happened at practice in ways that were reminiscent of what it was like back when he was playing. So you could tell, you could tell he was fired up and he just liked being, you know, part of a team again. I mean, that's part of it when you're an athlete and you lose the team aspect. I mean, it's not just basketball in your dreams. It's that whole idea of being part of bigger, something bigger than yourself. So, um, you know, working towards a common goal with other people who are, you know, have a different role and can all kind of participate and add something to the picture. And I just think, yeah, for him to find a different way to do that was, was really instrumental. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, so Kate, I'm curious, what's your argument for, so I, I talked earlier that, you know, some athletes go one way or the other, they either like want nothing to do with the sport or they want to immerse themselves. So what's your argument for staying close to the game? Yeah, that's a great question. So I will say at first, honestly, I had the latter of the responses. I wanted nothing to do with basketball, and I felt like that was what was best for me because it hurt too much to be around it. So I, I first like to say, like, if that's if that's you as an athlete, then I definitely think that's something that you should respect. You know, um, even having a little bit of space can can definitely help. And so um, I wouldn't argue necessarily against that because. Um, I think that's important to like be in touch with yourself. And if like, if that's something that's going to hurt you, if that's something that is not good, like I'm a firm believer that when one door closes another opens. And so, um, that, that another door that opens could be something entirely different, you know? And so I, I wouldn't say to neglect, um, taking some space, but on the other hand, that other door opening could be still in that same Avenue, just, um, just doing something that's different. So, um, you know, that's something that I, at first, I don't think I considered people did say to me like, Oh, you should try coaching. And I think the biggest barrier there for me was like, how do I get involved with coaching? You know? And my first thought was like, I'm going to show up with some park league and like coach like third graders. And I was like, I just don't think that's for me. Um, but I, what I think I would encourage people to do is like, if you think you might be interested in trying something new in your sport, um, there are way more ways to get involved than at least I had imagined. So, uh, if it's coaching, like you could definitely go to the local high school or, or maybe you have to go to a couple of them to find the right one. But more than likely, if you, if you're telling your coach a situation, they're going to want to help you out and get you involved in some way or another. Um, even now 
in my high school, like I never played baseball or football, but like the baseball and football coaches have like all reached out to me and like they want me to be involved. You know, they want to do things for me to help me to, to be a part of the team, which is like super awesome. Um, so sometimes you have to reach out and make those connections and it might seem kind of scary to like tell someone your story, but more than likely they're going to want to help you. Um, but that's just coaching. So I'd also just quickly add that like there are other things you can do too. So, um, part of what we do with our organization is we offer mentorships for sidelined athletes, uh, and, and alternate avenues to participate in their sport. So that can look like, uh, doing sports photography, sports journalism, uh, we do coaching, um, and so an athletic training. So I think there's just, there's other ways to get involved. And sometimes you have to know the right people or the right connections to do that. Um, but it's, I, I would argue that it's not as hard as it seems. Um, and some things you can start on your own, you know, if it's sports photography, like pick up a camera, it doesn't have to be the greatest one ever, but pick up a camera and go to the local, like high school sports game or go to your, you know, elementary school game and start taking pictures. You know, I think the biggest key there is to, to kind of have an open mind and be willing to find what gets you excited that you can still participate in your sport and feel like you have a role. Right. Yeah. I, I, Add to that too. I mean, Kay, do you want to speak to the baseball announcing opportunity? Yeah. So like I said, like the baseball coaches kind of want to get me involved. And so something that I was able to do this last year um, was I was the stadium announcer for the baseball team at my high school. Um, which is like totally random and I would probably never ask for that role. Um, like maybe you're not looking for it, you know? Um, but like that was totally fun too, where I was at every baseball game and I was sitting in the booth and I was calling the games and I was, um, you know, playing the walk-up music and do work on the scoreboard. So there's stuff like that too, where they seem like, you know, small level, uh, roles that you might think like, oh, I'm sure someone's already got that covered, but I would say, first of all, every coach is trying to get someone to work their scoreboard. Um, it's never like a, so, but if you, but if, my point is if you're able to do that kind of thing, um, you might be surprised too, because you're just, you're able to be there. You're able to be involved. And again, you have a purpose, you have a role, um, you know, big or small, it, it does add up. And you also have a lot of translatable skills that you learn from a lot of those jobs, like, um, the, the announcing the baseball games, like you said, like that's like public speaking. Um, you gotta know, like, you know, statistics and you got to be organized so you don't put the wrong score on the board. Um, I've done that before. <laughs> Usually so people aren't very happy about that. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, since we're on the topic, I, I'd love for you guys to kind of dive into um, where the idea for sideline came from and, you know, what your mission is and program offerings are. We could dive a little deeper into that. Yeah, Absolutely. So after that first season of me coaching, and I kind of made that that big turn, my mom said, um, having noticed this, she came up to me one night and she said, you know, um, we should do something for athletes who can't play their sport anymore for like injuries or health conditions. And at that point, it was a super loose definition of who we wanted to help. Um, but she's like, we should do like a, a support group or a connection group. Um, because that was one of the things that she had asked my cardiologist for and he didn't know of any. Um, and so I looked at her and I was like, okay, well, a support group sounds good. And I'm trying to be super positive, but I was like, I really don't think I would just want to like sit around and talk about my feelings. Like I want to do something, you know, um, I want to get these athletes who can't play their sport anymore and encourage them to become involved again or, or to really whatever it might be, but to get from point A, if that's being sidelined to point Z is them finding a new passion, right? To getting back on their feet, to redefine themselves and having a new identity. Um, and so initially we were just a mentorship program. 
Um, but since we built our organization and we launched nationally this year, so we're Sidelined USA, and we serve uh, permanently sidelined athletes. So that's athletes who can't play their sport anymore due to career-ending injury, health condition, and concussion risk. Um, and what we do is we kind of help them in three ways. So first, we have resources. Um, we found that there really is not a lot of research out there uh, on uh, permanently sidelined athletes, and there's not a lot out there to help them to cope with the loss of their sport. And so what we did is we took the research that does exist, and it, the way it exists is in these big dissertations and these research projects. And what we did is we took them and we tried to make them into tangible articles to help the athletes emotionally. So uh, some of our articles include uh, topics that are about, you know, what what are you going through as a, as a sidelined athlete? Um, we want to talk about what you can expect. Uh, what does the psychological research show? Um, we talk about identity. Um, and then we want to also, we wanted to help in those resources, the support groups of the sidelined athletes. So their parents, um, athletic trainers, physicians, people who are around these athletes and want to help them, but may not necessarily know how. So there are articles like, here are things that you should say to a sidelined athlete. Here are things that you don't say. Um, here's how to identify uh, depression in an athlete. You know, things that we want to be looking out for the mental health of these athletes, um, both in their own lives and, and helping the support groups, I'd be able to help them as well. Second thing we do is we connect the athletes. We kind of have a, a joke here at Sideline that, you know, sidelined athletes are everywhere, but they don't just like hang out at the local Starbucks, you know? And so um, really, if you're a sidelined athlete, your mom and your dad and your support group, whoever that might be, they're going to try their best to understand and, and to, to help you. Um, and they're going to want to feel like they can relate. They're going to try to help you, right? But at the end of the day, unless they've been sidelined themselves and they've had to give up their sport and their identity and their passion, um, they're not going to understand exactly what that's like for you. So what we want to do is we want to be able to help sidelined athletes to be able to connect with one another because they're the ones that understand uh what each other are going through. So we offer online uh, connection groups where athletes can just reach out and get to know one another, get can talk. Um, they can be able to, to share experiences. Um, the goal there is just to create an avenue where athletes can meet and be able to talk. The second thing we do is we have our own podcast series called Sideline Stories. And through that series, uh, we interview athletes who can't play their sport anymore. They've been permanently sidelined and they're a couple years removed. So we have interviews with uh, pro soccer players, um, professional football player coming up soon. We have collegiate basketball players, collegiate football players. And what we interview them, we talk about everything. So from their, their diagnosis of being sidelined to their depression, their frustration, their, their experience, their coping process, all the way to how did you find resolution? And the goal there is that maybe you're an athlete who you don't want to necessarily go into uh, a connection group immediately but you would like to hear other people who understand what you're going through. And these interviews are awesome because they uh, are just great pictures into, um, well, A, like you're not alone. And then B, like there is a common trend that people follow, but this is what helps them. So they're able to kind of share, you know, if they could tell themselves when they were first sidelined, give themselves advice, they're giving it in the podcast. Um, and so our goal there is to really help athletes. They're going down a dark path. Let's light it up for them. Let's help them not feel alone. And through those two things, what we want to do is we want to inspire athletes to get involved in their sport again through an alternate avenue. And so uh, we offer a mentorship program where athletes can get involved in their sport, like we said earlier, through athletic training, coaching, sports photography, or sports journalism. Um, now, maybe that's not the path for them. Uh, 
through those connections and resources, what we really want to do is inspire athletes to move forward in the way that's best for them. So maybe, like you said, there are some athletes who might say, you know what, I'm, once I'm done with my sport, I'm done. I don't want to get involved again. Our goal then is to inspire you to take up something else, you know, to redefine yourself, to get that identity. And that's where sideline comes in. We really want to help you get from point A being sidelined to point Z making that full recovery and that re-identification of yourself. Yeah, that was extremely articulately put. I'm uh, very impressed that that was all coming out of a 17-year-old the whole entire time that you were talking. <laughs> um, yeah, it's super impressive. And I love what you guys are doing. So obviously, you know, anything that I could do to help support this, uh, that would be awesome. But I was curious, you know, to date on your podcast, what have was there uh, an, an impactful interview that you you know did that you think would be you know valuable for my listeners as well, and you know, kind of highlights what you guys are doing yeah well i'll let my mom answer this question but i'll say just in in general that you know it's interesting all of the interviews have a very very similar um a feel to them and that's not something that we've structured it's something that's really cool to see um but athletes generally follow the same trends and the same forms of identity loss but i would say my biggest takeaway is that you know athletes who their identity is all in their sport those who are able to kind of make the best transitions have all been able to find their identity in something more solid, something more concrete. Um, and so whether that's the identity in like, although I used to play basketball, the skills that I made in basketball, the skills that I was able to acquire, I'm able to carry those and that's who I am. You know, My sport has helped develop me into the, this character that I am today and I'm able to use that for good or use that in other avenues of my life. Um, but mom, I want to open up to you. Like, what what specific interviews do you think uh, stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, honestly, each of them are so impactful because what what is powerful, I feel like, is when athletes find their voice and can actually share their stories and say, I mean, it's not like a real macho thing to to share hurt when you're an athlete because those are typically the kind of things that you're trying to hide when you're on the court or field. You know, it's not something you're trying to showcase. Is your 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 difficulties. And I think that same thing applies to athletes after, you know, about kind of internal things that they're processing. It's like, they're not going to be, um, as apt to open up in general. Obviously there's exceptions to that, of course, but what I've really been, um, inspired by is hearing these athletes just share just complete honesty and, and vulnerability. And, and I think what that encourages is athletes to, to understand like, Hey, you don't have to be okay and pretend you're okay if you're not okay. So just talk about it. Like, and it can get really, it can get really ugly and we're not going to judge you. You know, we know like you're a human, you know? And I think like last, the last podcast we did, um, with Jonathan Meldrum kind of sticks out to me because this guy, I mean, I love him. He's like a six foot five, 300 pound, or he was when he was playing Syracuse football player. And here he's sharing with us just brutally honest stuff about how kind of that same idea. He wasn't sharing this, how he was feeling, um, you know, while he was going through things like he went through depression as a player, as well as he became sidelined and went through depression again. But so he talks about both of those episodes of depression and, and, you know, it got really, really dark for him. He actually had suicidal thoughts and had a plan to take his own life and, it's just an impactful interview because to under to kind of get a glimpse of what's inside the mind of an athlete who's holding back and not sharing what he's going through um, on on this side of things is just so valuable. So um, I think I'm just inspired by 
that that notion that the more that athletes and just people in general can be vulnerable and just it's okay to share that you're you're hurting and, and talk about it, the more it just releases others to do the same. It just all of a sudden there's not this stigma to um, either mental health or depression or even just the simple the simple concept of you know perceived weakness, you know, it's a weak thing to be hurting. No, it's not. It's a human thing to be hurting. And guess what? We all relate and you can't say that you don't or, you know, relate in some degree. So I I think that interviews are really powerful because it gives the athletes, um, helps them find their voice and helps them inspire other athletes to do the same. Right. And that's largely the reason why I started mine and why I called it heads and tails, you know, because my head injury kind of serving as the catalyst for other athletes like Cade to share their stories um, or their tales, as as it's put. Um, I know we mm-hmm. talked about, you know, all the different things that you guys do offer, but I don't know if we talked about how listeners can access these resources. Sure. So. Uh, our resources are all available on our website, which is www.sidelinedusa.org. Um, nothing in between there. Um, so yeah, our website, we, we have everything for the parents, for uh, medical professionals, for athletes. Um, you can all find it on there. There's resources. The connections are there. The podcasts are there. You can also find our podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, and uh, Google. I think it's called Google Music now. Um, and so you can look, just look it up. It's called Sideline Stories, and it's all available on the website and uh, on those platforms. Yeah, under the program tab is where all the resources, interviews, sideline stories, and things like that are. Okay, yeah, I'll link all that up in the show notes uh, for you guys. And I'm just curious about, like, the, mentor- the mentorship part. Like, do you, does an athlete apply to, you know, join the program? Like, how are they connected with these individuals that might mentor them, you know, to a, a different avenue? Absolutely. So yes, on our website, you can apply uh, for our mentorship program. So I will say um, our mentorship program is is overseen by us in the Chicagoland area. So if you're in the Chicagoland area, we will oversee your mentorship. We'll kind of manage it. We will um, kind of be on a more uh, administrative level there we're trying to want to make sure that everything is going super smooth um so at at our point now elsewhere in the country what we want to do is we want you to still apply on our website and uh if you're say you're in san diego and uh you want to get involved somewhere let us know what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to make some phone calls do some networking for you and set up a mentorship uh but it won't be as closely monitored as the one that we do in chicago Right. Yeah. We, we have so many people across this, the country who have contacted us saying, Hey, how can I help out? Sign me up to be a mentor. And they're just kind of in some ways waiting for that phone call. So for sure, even if you're in an area outside of Chicagoland and you're interested in, in a mentorship, you just go to the upper right hand side of our website where it says contact and just shoot us a note. Tell us what you're interested in. You'll hear back from us quickly and then we'll go to work for you and try to open some doors because just you know having a nonprofit and doing this we have the ability to get in some spaces maybe that would be a little bit harder for you to get into or if you have an idea of how you want to get into it but and, and who you want to approach but maybe you don't know how to do that we can help coach you you know through that too and basically just kind of give you advice about setting up your own mentorship and help you figure out you know just try something you know i would even just suggest that even if you're in the slightest bit interested in trying something, I mean, Kate wasn't like 
it wasn't like signing up to go learn coaching. I mean, it just kind of landed on him. And then he cautiously, you know, walked through that door it, optimistically, but also cautiously. And it's, it's okay to do that too. It, which is just talking about trying something new. It doesn't mean you have to marry it. You don't have to become a professional, whatever it is. It's just trying something new. And that's where the power comes. It's like, you may not find that something new the first time around. Maybe it'll take you a couple of tries to figure out like what really is impactful to you and what has meaning to you. But that's what we're here for. We're here to help you just kind of open some doors and, and try some things new. Yeah, well put. Yeah, and guys, obviously, if you get anyone from any athletes from New Jersey, uh, definitely send them my way. I'd be glad to you know be a mentor in your your program for sure. I really, I'm passionate about your your uh, organization as well. So um, anything I could do to help, let me know. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank you Kevin. All right. So as we kind of wrap up the, the conversation here, um, I know you guys picked some core values, which, you know, I think were all pretty powerful. And I was just curious if you can give me a little, you know, reason why you picked uh, each or what, what they are, what your core values are, and just a little short reason why you picked those. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Here's what, we're, here's what we're looking for. We're looking for the way to apply your athletic mindset to new situations, right? And so we talked about a lot about what it takes to kind of come to full circle, what it takes to have a healthy mindset moving in a positive manner. And so our core values reflect those things that are required to make that happen. So positivity, adaptability, perseverance, meaningful action, community, and devotion. So these are all things that are um, really values of just sports in general, but specifically and especially for sideline athletes, you know, adaptability is a big one. And just being able to, you know, take an obstacle and if you can't go through it, you know, go around it, um, find a way. And maybe that's not going to happen physically, but it's more of a mental shift at this point. So you can adapt and you can find ways um, around that obstacle and to find, you know, meaning and value and just obviously positivity. It's so important to stay positive. Um, as, as difficult as the grieving process is, um, just keeping in mind that it's not always going to hurt this bad and that at some point I'll find a way and it's not today and that's okay. You know, it can be enough to say that. Um, but just, you know, perseverance, obviously persevering through difficulty, um, is a significant theme for us. Meaningful action is just like, Finding something you're passionate about that provides meaning is so much more, um, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a motivating factor in life. And then devoting yourself to the idea of community, um, whether that's a team or some, some capacity of a community where, again, that idea of something bigger than yourself and, you know, not taking an individualistic approach to your kind of adjustment process and just going off in a corner and, you know, hiding away until you feel better. Cause that's just not realistic. You got to get out there. You got to, you got to team up with people. You have to, you know, take the risk and, and, and rebuild, um, something special and, and devotion. Our last one, it's just, you know, it takes a devoted person to really, to really overcome something so core, um, to something that hurts to the core so badly. And so that devotion, that idea that, okay, you were a hundred percent devoted to your sport. You know what? Now you got to be a hundred percent devoted to what's next and to that recovery process on the internal capacity and just finding a way forward and being determined that you don't know what that's going to look like, but you're going in the forward, you know, trajectory and it's going to happen at some point, at some point you're going to, you know, it won't hurt so bad. And 
Um, like I said, if that day is not today, that, that that's okay. But keep going forward, one foot in front of the other, front of the other, and it's you're gonna find a way. And you know, at sidelined, we don't want you to do that alone because it just it's it's really hard to bear that all on your own. So we just really want to be there as a support for these athletes and their families. Because I mean, honestly. I would have loved to have talked to another mother who was going through what I was going through, watching Cade have to, you know, really process this whole thing. So we want to be there for both the parents as well as the athletes and just say, hey, there's absolutely no reason to go through this alone because so many people have gone before you um, and have found a way to, um, you know, to move forward. And, and you will, too. So let's swap stories and um, and figure it out together. Yeah, that's that's great. And when when Cade was talking about, you know, kind of when this idea was happening about, you know, it started off as like, oh, maybe we'll start a support group and how he wasn't so interested in that because he wanted doing. So I wrote a little note down earlier that, you know, it's all I wrote was doing. And when you were kind of describing your core values, I feel like doing was always, you know, taking action and the meaningful action kind of fits into every category. Um it's it's one of those things, you know, transitioning to a life after sports, it's not really going to get better by just sitting around, you know, like you have to actively do something to, you know, get yourself out of that funk. So I think that those are all, those are all great. Um, do you guys think that we can prepare athletes more effectively for the day when that, that day that comes when they are ultimately sidelined, whether that's, uh, an injury, um, or just the end of their career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, done a lot of research on this actually, and in sport, the sports psychology realm. And you know, if you think about it, it all comes down to identity. Um, building a healthy identity. And there's two ways. Like research will show, there's like two kinds of self-esteem. That's like uh, achievement self-esteem, where it's tied to your personal performance and the things you can accomplish. And then there's self self acceptance self-esteem, or where you're you're really learning about who you are and building your identity based on who you are at the core, not on what you do. So I think if all along as you're an athlete, you know, if you have an athlete, you know, son or daughter, or if you're a coach listening to this, if you can affirm in that athlete, um, the things that make them a great player, but it's more core to who they are than, than tied to their performance, whether that's winning or playing well, or whether that's, um, you know, being number one or whatever, it's like if we have to affirm these athletes in things that are more solid so that they can build their identities on something that's going to be with them their whole lives and see themselves, honestly, just seeing themselves as I'm more than a football player. I am these things. Um, these things make me a great football player, but this is who I am. Football is the application of what, of, of, of what I'm doing. Um, one of the quotes that we kind of um, that we kind of share is, "Who you are does not equal what you do, and who you are does not equal what you can't." So if you know, as parents, as coaches, as you know, teammates, if we can encourage the athletes just to build that solid foundation on, of their identity on something more, um, you know, stable, I think they're going to be a lot more prepared for whether that be a transition from sport after just retirement. You know, they're they're they play out and it's like the end of their college career. They don't make it to, you know, the pros fine. They're still going to be able to transition better. Um, if they have that identity built on something solid, um, or if they, you know, God forbid, get sidelined for some reason, they'll be much more able to, you know, kind of process that loss and have it, 
I mean, it's always going to hurt, right? It's just, it's just going to hurt so bad. But at the same token, it doesn't have to destroy the individual if they're, if they know who they are and that they can be something more than, you know, a player, a ball player. hundred percent. Where can, I mean, we talked about uh, the website and what people can find on the website, but where can people connect with you uh, online and how can they support the cause? Great. Yeah. So on our website, we've got um, a whole section on the upper right-hand side for contacting us or there's a donation button. I mean, we are, um, we are looking to support this. We went not national. We really do need, um, you know, the support of the athletic community to make this resource happen. I mean, we have learned that we're the only organization out there that's doing this. And with that comes a tremendous amount of interest and it's also a tremendous task to take on and financially, you know, anything anyone in the sports community can do to support us is obviously very helpful. But beyond that, you can also um, sign up to learn about volunteer opportunities or uh, help make connections in different ways. You can also email us directly at contact at sidelinedusa.org. And I'll add social media is big to that, too. So you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, our handle. You can just look up Sidelined USA, but our handle is all uh, at sidelined underscore USA. All right. Definitely look us up on social. Okay. Yeah. I'll link all those up in the show notes as well. And I end most of my, uh, interviews with this, this last question. And that's, uh, what your definition of toughness is today. Uh, cause that's something that I really struggle with in trying to find a new identity and being okay with who I am outside of being Kevin, the football player. Uh, so if you guys could both give me your definitions, that'd be a awesome way to end it. Sure. So uh, I'll make this brief, but I think we kind of ta- we already talked about identity and finding something that that's bigger uh, than just your sport. But I would what I would add to that, and I think this is what makes you tough, is making your toughness something that's adaptable, something that you can can morph into whatever situation that you're in, right? Because in sports, we're always changing our our, our game to apply to specific plays, specific teams, specific opponents. Um, so I think that we need to do is you need to take your same skills that you've acquired in sports. And once that day comes when you're not the football player, who you are is who you've built up already. So all those skills that you've built up as an athlete, um, learning to be resilient, learning to practice, learning to, to not give up, to not quit, to, to even to be someone who's uh, you know, susceptible to change. Taking all of those, those competitive um, qualities and morphing them into other avenues of life. I think that's what's being tough, is being able to say, you know what, I don't know what life's going to throw at me. It's going to be different each time. It's going to surprise me, but I know who I am because I know that everything that I've gone through up to this point, the good, the bad, the ugly, even just playing sports, has all built me up to be someone who's ready to take on the next thing. Great definition, especially coming out of a 17-year-old. took me uh, an extra 10 years to figure out something similar. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that, Kevin. We're just going to let Cade, Cade have the last word on that one. That was awesome. Cool. Yeah, thanks a lot, Cade. And uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast to share your story and creating um, Sideline USA because it's definitely a resource that's uh, lacking and you know, until you guys started up really non-existent uh, in the world for, for athletes. And anything that I could do to help you guys in the future, uh, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you. Thank you for having us on. I mean, like we said, it's, you know, we started this organization, but I think originally we started off with not, um, not the expectation that it would be what it is today. And so we're, we're really humbled and honored and it's our greatest passion to, to get our mission out there and to help as many people as possible. So we thank you for, 
for having us on the show today is able to, to just another way to spread our message. So thank you. Anytime.